Sometimes in the midst of our ever-changing world and our daily experiences, we forget that when things are difficult or when things are trying, they are still days in which we should be praising our Lord for all that God has given us. It's easy to forget that because most humans, including most of us, many of our days get so focused on our own situations, on our own lives, and on the things that are going on right before us that we sometimes fail to remember and recall the larger picture that is always before us, that we have victory in Christ our Lord, that we share the name of the one who makes a difference in people's lives. As Chiv and Imra labored in Cambodia again this year, they started their seventh congregation out of the ministries of this church and their support. Fifty-five people were baptized and recognized as new believers. Fifty-five people. We serve a great God who is to be remembered and celebrated. For when one door appears jarred, another door is wide open. And we must walk through it each and every opportunity that we get. I feel a little bit like I caught a deep, quiet breath today. We sang the happiest song that we ever sing, in my estimation. But you weren't quite as happy as you should be, so I'm going to pray for you right now, all right? Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for every one of them, for their hearts that love you, for the faith that they proclaim and believe, and for the lives that they live. I pray, Lord, that they understand that a battle is not the war. I pray, Lord, that they understand that what is happening one day can be great or it can be very stressful, and yet the future lies with you. You are always with us to encourage us, to guide us, and to give us strength. Oh, Lord, may we never falter as your people. May the gospel that we have received from the apostles that has been passed on to us, be the gospel that we pass on to others. May the word of the truth that you have sown in our hearts, that has taken root in our heads and in our lives, continue to bear fruit for you. And may we never, never sell short the majesty and glory of the Son of God who is the man of grace, who came to let us know just how precious we are in the sight of God. For we need to remember that story in order that we can pass it on to those who do not know and who have not claimed that very gospel for themselves. In Jesus' name, I pray for that reality to draw us all together this morning. Amen. Last week we talked about the importance of Scripture. We talked about how all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for all kinds of things. We talked about how in handling the word of truth, we must keep it into context. We must remember the things that are important. And one of those things I want to remember that's important right now, and you say, well, this is a funny time to remember it. Uh, Really, it's not so funny if you're in my head, because my head's been a little bit of everywhere this week. I I don't want something to pass up that we get a chance to do that we don't always get a chance to do. It's nice to recognize and makes us feel special when our graduating high school seniors reach that point. 
It's also nice for us when our young men and women mature and get to the point where they walk across that stage and get that diploma that they have graduated from college. But for some, that is not the end of their educational journey in terms of pursuing their education. Today, we want to recognize and remember that Kara Kaiser just got an MS, a master's in human environmental sciences at the University of Arkansas, and Justin Patsig, an MBA in information systems and operations management university at the Texas of Arlington, University of Texas at Arlington. Now, are these master's graduates in our midst? If they are, is any of them here? Are any of them here? Would you stand up if you're here? Stand right up there. Stand right up. Let us recognize you. A degree is nice, two degrees is nice, and you know, some people need three. And you know, if you do, God bless you, get it done, all right? We'll, we'll recognize you again. Congratulations on a great accomplishment. Sometimes great accomplishments, however, don't live on. And that's not the way we like in the Christian faith. We want our great accomplishments to live on. So today, Chiv just read to you a story about an accomplishment of the gospel that Paul had, in, had instituted in this area of Galatia and really felt good about it until all of a sudden he got back reports that just threw him for a loop. And then he does things that are different from other letters that he normally writes to churches. And because they're different from other letters, we tend to take special note of them, and indeed we should. What he says here, I am amazed, and some translations say, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel that's really not a gospel at all. That is the message I want us to hear today. Now, first of all, when we're going to interpret this passage, we have to ask ourselves, what different gospel is Paul thinking about? And these are strong words because what you'll notice in this letter is that unlike other letters he writes, after Grace, extending grace and peace to them, he does not thank them for their faithfulness. In every other letter Paul writes, he thanks the people he's writing to for their faithfulness, but not Galatians. They are singled out in a different way. Now, the first thing that you might think is, well, he's so mad at them. He's so mad at them for deserting the gospel he trusted to them that he just can't talk to them about it. I can relate to that. Can you? You ever been so mad at someone you told them, no, we can't talk about this now, later? Maybe he was just that angry. Also, perhaps he really wasn't thankful for them at that point because though they had been brought into the relationship with God, they had so quickly turned from that which was essential in the relationship. And he just couldn't thank them for anything else because that is a foundation upon which all of our thankfulness and our understanding of Christ rests. Now, there's another logical possibility as well. And this was not quite as much fun. But it has to do with when the letter to the Galatian church was written. If it was written early on, perhaps he had not yet just developed the idea of thanking every church that he writes to. If it came at the end of Paul's journey, then you would think either the first two things I mentioned were true, probably more so than that one. But you know what? I, I read a number of commentaries, and people just don't agree when he wrote that letter. Imagine that. So we don't know if he didn't write it because it was 
he was still developing his style of writing as it was inspired by the Spirit, or if it was because he was so angry. But here I'm betting this. He was mad. He was good and mad. And I think that it's possible that we might have lost a sense of why he's so mad in our world in which we live today. And that's why I think this passage of Scripture is important for us. So here he is writing to this church that he had led into the, a relationship with Christ. And so soon, whatever so soon means, they had turned and gone another way. Now, they didn't think they had gone another way. But the way they had begun to pursue was the way of a phrase called Judaizing legalism. Judaizing legalism. That's the new gospel that they had begun to follow. I'm going to explain to you what that means. Judaizing legalism, first of all, let's be clear, it is not the Christian gospel. Secondly, anybody who puts anything as necessary for the gospel of Christ other than the essential elements of the gospel of Christ is heresy. It is not just a person's idea. It is an attack on the foundation of what the gospel really is. We have to get that firmly in our minds. We have to claim that the truth we claim in Jesus Christ is not to be trifled with as believers. Nothing can come between believers and their firm conviction that the gospel of God sending Christ out of his love for us and his grace intended toward us that through faith we might be saved, if anything becomes as necessary as that for our salvation and a living relationship with Christ, then it is heresy. Heresy is a strong word. I remember a story when I was going to seminary, a story about some poor student who accused a professor of heresy. And I think by the time that lecture was over, the student had lost his britches, his shirt, and everything else. Now, the question, though, really was, the story was about not claiming, telling a professor they're being heretical. For me, the question was, were you really being heretical? <laughs> but that's just me, right? This was not an Asbury story, by the way. Now, when you look at this story and you talk about Judaizing legalism, what are they really talking about? They are saying that Moses and the law of Moses... And the customs and the traditions that Moses taught them were a necessary step in pleasing God. In other words, if you wanted to become a Christian, that's fine, but you had to accept the way of Moses and the tradition of the Israelites as well. Otherwise, Christianity was somehow deficient if it was not blessed by the waters of Judaism. And that, my friends, is heresy. And that is why Paul is so angry at the Galatian church. Now, when, I'm not, when I say Judaizing legalism, I'm not talking about just an adherence or an insistence to follow certain rules. That's not what I'm talking about. Rather, Judaizing legalism supplants Christ and the Spirit as all that is necessary for a living relationship with Christ. Anything that attempts to add to the basic elements of Christ and the Spirit as being necessary for our salvation 
is heresy. Those are strong words that Paul is writing. And they are meant for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And we must not miss that today. God sent Jesus Christ into the world as a fulfillment of all of the Mosaic law. His death and resurrection made that fulfillment possible for all of us. So to make the Mosaic law necessary when it had been replaced, if you will, by its fulfillment is not what the gospel is about. And yet that tendency continues to go on year after year and age after age and tradition after tradition after tradition. There is a role of the law, sure. But there was, the role of the law is to make us aware of God. It is not what saves us any longer. If you think you're going to obey the rules and get saved for eternal life with Christ, I want to make very clear to you, first of all, you're just not that good. And you say, well, you don't know me that well. Yes, I do. I've known hundreds of thousands of now, if I were to add them all up, of people I've been introduced to, and I have never yet met Jesus. Not hand-to-hand, flesh-to-flesh. And the only way you can fulfill the law without Christ is you have to obey every law perfectly, all the time, both inwardly and in your outward expressions of living. If you're here today and you've done that, would you please stand so we can give you a hand? I would sit down if I had a chair. We just don't get there, do we? We're humans. We can't make it there. And that's why God sent Jesus. The role of the law is important, but it's informative. It is not salvific. It does not save us. Now, let me tell you another problem with the Judaizers. They had a strong nationalistic impulse. They believed God was going to save Israel. And they mistook that the faith of Abraham and God's faithfulness to that faith to be tied directly to a particular nation of people by birth. Another problem that goes on a lot, doesn't it? Now, if you've admitted that to yourself, I want you to hold on to it because in a minute I'm going to have you hold on to your seat because I want to say something else about that. But just suffice this to say something about those two statements. If you take the rule of law as, as essential to your salvation or that you be a certain brand of person living in a certain place or part of a certain people and their traditions then you have made the work of Christ and the Spirit's guidance insufficient for daily living with God. I don't think you want to do that. Paul saves some of his strongest words for people who teach that kind of gospel. He basically says, may they be accursed. And friends, he's not talking about them getting a spanking when they go to heaven. He's talking about them going to hell. Got it? That's what accursed means. It means to be out of God's kingdom. In this passage of Scripture, that's exactly what he's saying. That's very strong language. That's the kind of language that's offensive to a lot of people today. It may be true, but it's offensive to them, right? I don't have to worry about that with you. You're believers. That's why you're here. You're not worried about being accursed. But let me ask you this. What would have happened had they not heeded to Paul's words? Would we have the Christian church today? 
Not without, thank you, that little no back there, I heard that. I don't think she said it to me, but it was perfect. I'll take it. If they had not understood what was going on and had not heard Paul's word and had conformed to the Jewish desire, today we would have had a Christian Jewish sect in the world of Judaism. Jesus Christ did not die in order that the Jews could be better by becoming Christian Jews, but rather he died so that Jews and others could become Jewish Christians. There's a world of difference between those two phrases. And that's why Paul is so angry. And now you say, so what does that have to do with us? Now you might want to hold on to your chair. Some of you, not all of you. Let me ask you. To whom is your greatest allegiance? I know preachers... who have practically been run out of ministry and have been had their ministry greatly threatened in particular congregations because they asked the American flag to be removed from the church. (laughs) How dare they? After all, what kind of church is this? Where's y'all's American flag? I didn't even have to ask you to remove it, I don't think. We do remember the flag and its importance to us in our nation. Of course, we all know that here we're Texans first and Americans second. (laughs) We can't be Christian and be Christian Americans and be putting the gospel first. We must be American Christians first. So when people want to equate to me the law of the land as being equal to the law of Christ, I say to them, no, you're mistaken. Though this nation go to hell in a handbasket, I will still be following Christ. We are Christian. We are Christian first. Everything else and every other allegiance comes second, third, fourth, or fifth. It's never first. It's never equal to it and never supplants it. If I have a choice of obeying my nation or obeying my Christ and I cannot do both, I'm going to have to obey my Christ. Now, what this means to us, practically speaking, is we have to be very careful because sometimes this, this thought pervades our thinking in other ways. People who move into our country come with all kinds of different customs and traditions that they have grown up with just like you've come into theirs. Yesterday, I did a wedding I'm not sure what kind of wedding I did. I've been doing it a long time now, but this wedding was between an Indian gentleman and a Cambodian woman. And both customs were flying their colors, so to speak. It was the most colorful wedding I've ever been at. I, I enjoy, it was, the pageantry was everywhere. They were dressed to the, not the nines, but the tens everywhere. And it was cool. But on, going on on the side were lots of customs, particular to either the bride or the groom. One of the men told me, he said, well, we had a Buddhist wedding yesterday evening. We had a Sikh wedding this morning, and now we're having a, a and he was trying to describe the Christian service we just had. So I said for him, Christian wedding, Christian wedding. We just had a Christian wedding, and that's what we had. 
Well, that was all right. That was not his custom. He didn't understand everything going on. All he was concerned about is they were about to have the party, but they'd had three weddings and only one party. He thought there should have been three parties to go with three. <laughs> Sometimes when people move into our nation, we want them to have dust to adjust to all of our customs before we recognize them as full brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? If you're going to join this church, you've got to know what the theology is. You've got to know who sits where. You've got to know when to stand up, when to sit down. You've you got to know what's what. And they do need to know what's what. What they need to know is that God loves them and that in God's grace, God sent his son to die for them. And by the power of the Spirit, they have been brought to new life and new birth in Jesus Christ. And if they believe that, they're our brothers and our sisters. Everything else is second. Everything else. That is the gospel that Paul feels like has been compromised. And that is the gospel that brings out his wrath. Because as he says, that is not gospel at all. There is only one true gospel. And we need to be careful here. The centrality of Christ as Savior and the Spirit as our, as our constant companion is important. But we must share that news in grace-filled, love-filled ways just as God does. Having the truth within us does not mean that we can take the truth to beat up others who have not yet understood it. Whose customs and occasions have not given them opportunity to understand and to know It does not mean that when you've been following Christ for 45 years and you know what sin is, by golly, and you know what it isn't, that you need to go to the 23-year-old and start straightening them out right now because something could happen that could make it all go terribly wrong. They might know someone who knew you when you were 23. (laughs) Right? I mean, you can't expect people who first begin to believe to know all that you believe. And how you respond to their ways of living that are not biblical, not Christ-filled, not born of the Spirit, needs to be done with great tenderness and love, even as we were handled by Jesus. I thought this was going to be a short sermon. And it is, because I'm just going to stop and say this. The gospel is a sacred trust. Nothing Nothing can be added to that kernel of truth that comes before it or is necessary in the same way that the truth of the simple gospel message is. Lifestyles change. New ideas will come. New understandings will be born. Cultures change. But the word of truth, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, if one, those who pervert this gospel invite the wrath of the one who created them, the scripture's clear. Pluralism, tolerance, they're not the essential truth. The essential truth is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel for which he died, and the gospel that we remember today when we come to this place and to this table. For underneath this table are the elements that are the short and simple story of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bread that represents his body and the life that he lived before us. The juice and the cup 
that represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, precious and perfect, that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could enter into relationship with God. This is that table. And you are invited to come because Christ is central in your life. And as you come, the Spirit is not only leading you to this chancel rail, but is ready to whisper into your ear what you need to hear. Are you ready? People who are led by the Spirit to commune with the Father and the Son because the Spirit is ready to lead you into that place. May it be so in all our lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.